welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey church, I'm so glad you've joined us today. My name is VJ. I'm the lead pastor here at The Well. And just as a reminder, if you're new today, the last few weeks we've been in a series that we're calling When Blank Happens, Wrestling with God Through Pain and Suffering. And I typically do most of the teaching here at The Well and have been so far in this series. But today, um, I wanted to share with you um, actually a talk that I heard um, back in March of uh, 2023 when I was teaching at a conference and um, I did the opening session. The next session, I just sat and listened. And I had the experience as I listened to the person that you're about to hear of both feeling like bolted to my chair, like I couldn't move in um, just the profound power of what they were saying. And at the same time, I felt like lifted out of my seat, like lifted up to where God was. And it was this beautiful <laughs> effect. And, and even as I listened that day in my heart, I thought, man, and I knew we were doing this series at some point this year. And I thought, God, I, I want this message to be shared with our church. And so I am so um, thankful um, to be able to share um, and introduce you to Catherine Wolf who's going to share her story and someone who I think is uniquely able to speak about some of the things that we've been talking about, the pain and suffering that we find in our world. And my hope and prayer is that it has the same effect on you, that would just hit you in your heart in a way that uh, kind of makes you stand still in the presence of God and at the same time lifts you up to where God is. And so um, I trust that this, uh, she has something that God has prepared for you to hear today. Let me say to you that you might not have thought that the speaker this morning would be a lady in a wheelchair. You're like, wait, I'm so confused. This looks like it could be sad and hard and bum me out, cringe, not here for this. And um, yeah, that would make sense. It could look like this is going to be really sad. There's a lady in a wheelchair on the stage, and I thought this was supposed to pump me up about Jesus and how God is in my story, and it looks like it might be a bummer. Well, let me assure you, this is not going to be a bummer. <laughs> Truly, no. This, this hopefully will be the opposite of that. You know, I... Um, I don't want to inspire you, actually, either, though. It's so interesting. I have no desire to inspire you with my story of overcoming. I don't know if you guys know this, and the same is true in Canada as it is in the States. I think it is. That when anyone has a disability and is able to articulate publicly sort of a story that's progressed, it's seen as triumphant and overcoming. And in Christian context, it's like, yay, Jesus, for the more than conquering effect of this moment. And it's so interesting. I have zero desire to do that because I think it wrongly disassociates the listener from the speaker. What I mean is I have zero desire to inspire you, but a deep desire for you to apply this to your own life and your own story. So inspiration is not my jam, but application is because this is 
your story too. It's just that the specifics are different. I doubt many of you have had a brainstem stroke and very nearly died and subsequently become severely disabled. Anybody? Any hands? I can't really see, but I don't see any hands. This is pretty unique suffering. But is anyone's life here perfect? No hands again. Everybody has pain and problems and sufferings of all kinds. And we've all got stuff. You know, it's so interesting. I've got this physical wheelchair on the outside of my body. No one can hide this thing. But I believe every one of us have invisible wheelchairs, I call them. Things in our story that are not okay. Stuff inside of us. Pain, problems, memories that haunt, stuff that's happened to us, stuff that we've done. We've all got big invisible wheelchairs inside of us. I didn't get a pass. I have them on the outside and the inside, actually. And they can be debilitating. Our wheelchairs, our problems, our hard stuff, our mental health, our disorders of any and every kind. We've, we've got junk. I mean, we live in a fallen world. It's really no surprise. John 16, is true that in this world, we will have trouble. Not if, but when. We will have trouble. But we can take heart, y'all, because he has overcome the world. And in short, to just tell you a, a moment's worth of my story, and I should tell you this, and I'm going to stand up to do it, to make a memory in your brain. Did you know that when the speaker stands, you remember it differently than when the speaker is seated, which is really hard for me because I'm seated most of the time, but I can stand for little bits. And what is so beautiful to show you guys about the wheelchair, both this physical one and the one inside of each one of us, is that I believe the Lord has given me just a powerful picture of the reality of the wheelchair. You know, shortly after having the stroke that you'll hear about in a minute and becoming so disabled, um, people would always say, wheelchair bound. Catherine is wheelchair bound. You may have heard this. Is this a Canadian expression as well? Wheelchair bound? Do you say that here? Yes. So wheelchair bound, you've heard. And it just never settled with me, never settled well, the notion of being bound by a wheelchair, confined to a wheelchair. And I realized it's because I'm not. I'm not bound by a wheelchair. And that has nothing to do with my ability to stand up and hobble around a little. No. What it has to do, everything to do with, is the fact that this wheelchair is actually my seat of honor that takes me out into the world. This wheelchair is my avenue to freedom. It isn't holding me back. It's helping me move forward. It is a vehicle to me being in the world. And what I think is so crazy hard, and I say it just super tenderly because there's so much pain associated with all of our wheelchairs, inner and outer. But I believe the same is true can be 
the same can be true for each one of us. That each one of our wheelchairs could possibly, in time, perhaps, become avenues of freedom. That we can see them that way, that we can transform the way we think. I love that beautiful verse in Romans 12, too, that we can transform. We get to renew our mind and think about things differently. The wheelchair doesn't exactly represent freedom to the world, but I'm not living for the world. I'm living for Jesus. And he says, I am free indeed. We just sang about it. And I believe um, that can be all of our stories, that we see our limitations as opportunities for freedom in Jesus. Now, as I sit back down to tell you my story, I want you to see that I can hobble, not really walk, a little. I, um, it's not great, but it happens. I kind of feel like I'm sort of dancing, don't you think? <laughs> a little thanks. And um, it's not great, but it took many years to relearn to do that, so I'm quite proud of it. And um, what is so interesting, and I always like to make this point when I'm standing, is that people are wrought with assumptions about a person in a wheelchair, or honestly anyone who's different from them and their background and their perspective. And if you know one person in a wheelchair and their story, you know one person in a wheelchair and their story. Crazy, huh? I think um, what we do is we make tremendous assumptions about each other, but I think we should stop doing that. I think we should live curiosity without assumption. Write that down. I think the world so desperately needs Christ followers to look each other in the eye and learn the story and not just assume we know based on any specifics we see. You know, I can't tell you the number of times someone has come up to me and said, Hey, Catherine, how are you? And I'm like... I'm fully cognitively tracking. My body is impaired. But that is so offensive to people who are cognitively impaired because do you think they're tracking with all of that? No! So it's a whole nother layer offensive. And on their behalf, I am deeply offended. But I'm also mad because I don't have cognitive impairment and you are assuming that I do. So anyway, total aside, but I think the world that Jesus calls us to live into it's one where we are curious and don't make assumptions based on what we think we know. So now I'm going to safely sit down and share um, just a moment of my story with you. About uh, three, four, five years ago now, um, on Instagram, which I think you guys were on four, five, six years ago, you may remember this, um, Instagram had something that was going, you know, around viral called the 10-year challenge, where people would take 10 years of their life and sort of show the progression. And so, okay, there it is. So in general, 
people would show like, now I have kids, now I got this dream job, now whatever, now I'm just doing like beach vacations all the time, or you know, whatever. And I decided I would give some perspective to the 10-year challenge and a little reality check, to be honest. So I took age 25, Catherine, and then age 26, Catherine, in the middle, and then at the time, age 35, Catherine. So I did the 10-year challenge, but um, it showcased um, some deep stuff, as you're seeing. I, um, as 25-year-old Catherine, the, which was the before, I was absolutely, perfectly healthy, whatever that means. I was um, typically abled in every way. No medical history, no family history, no symptoms, nothing, no warning whatsoever. And as a newly 26-year-old in the middle there, um, I was a new mom and a young wife, and out of nowhere, on a completely normal day, I had a headache and got dizzy and hit the ground and woke up two and a half months later. And I had had the rupture of a birth defect I never knew I had, called an AVM, which is an arterial venous malformation, which is like a collection of blood, oh, a collection of blood vessels that forms um, when you're still inside of your mother in utero and the, the blood vessels wrongly latch basically and then they grow once you are born and many, many times they never rupture. But once in beyond a million they do and mine did. And when the AVM ruptured, it caused the massive stroke. <coughs> and when I had the stroke, um, basically the pressure from the rupture was causing my brain to herniate into my spinal column, which for those of you smarties in the room, you may know that's completely unsurvivable, that you cannot live with a brain that herniates into your spinal column. And honestly, the doctors do not know why I'm alive today. It makes no medical sense. Um, in the surgery, they removed 60% of my cerebellum, which is why I cannot walk today or why my hand doesn't work. And in the process of removing the AVM, the surgeon had to make sacrifices. And that's why my face is paralyzed and I'm deaf in this ear and nearly blind in this eye and why my eyes don't track. So I'm seeing you guys right here, but then I'm also seeing you guys in a blurry version up here because I can't totally track. So I have double vision and um, just a, a slew of just very sad health problems. However, what is so cool to tell you in retrospect about that is that I always thought, like, the reason my body is so impaired and I'm disabled now is because I'm a stroke survivor, because that would make sense. I survived a stroke and now I'm in a wheelchair, but I'm a survivor. That actually isn't exactly the truth. 
the reason I am in this situation is because the wise surgeon decided to make sacrifices in order for me to live. It is a beautiful biblical truth that the great physician may in fact make sacrifices in our stories in order for us to flourish, in order for us to live. Isn't that crazy? And let me be the word picture for you of that, that I'm here. I, I believe so deeply that if you have a pulse, you have a purpose to be in this world or you would not be here, honestly. And that's my story. The surgeon wounded me very, very greatly to keep me alive. And that is so powerful. It says in Job that he wounds and he heals. And I love that beautiful truth. I suggest to you today, could there be wounding in the story so that there could be healing in the same story? It's a powerful thought in many areas of my life that are not remotely connected to the stroke. Because you may have thought, well, surely her life is perfect, except she had a stroke. But it's not. There are very hard things. And I need those truths that maybe in other painful areas of my story that God is allowing somehow, some way, wounding in order for healing to happen. And um, that's just a word for each of us with broken hearts, which if you live long enough is probably the reality, honestly. Now, I would love to tell you that I got out of the hospital bed two and a half months after the stroke and just went back to normal life in the wheelchair, but it was cool and I'm fine now. And the reality has been something entirely different. Um, I've had 13 surgeries since the stroke. I've had terrible falls, ended up in the hospital emergency room many times. I've had unbelievable amounts of physical speech and occupational therapy to learn to do basic functions again. I did not eat food or drink water for a full year. I was NPO, fed through a tube in my stomach. And when I finally relearned to eat, well, it was glorious, don't get me wrong, but it's not the same. I can't eat food normally even now. I cough and spit, and it's, it's an ordeal, but I do eat now. But there's been many complications with my swallow. And um, it's been rough, honestly. It's been nearly 15 years. It'll be 15 years next month in April. And it's not been fun, to be honest. It is a hard life, but it's also a really good life. I've gone on to have a second biological child who's seven years old now, John, John Nestor, named for my neurosurgeon, Nestor Gonzalez. And I've, um, yeah, done so many just things that no one ever thought possible. Um, my husband and I have authored two books and founded a ministry giving hope to people like us with broken bodies, broken brains, and broken hearts. And we founded a camp for families with disabilities and, and many just really cool, cool parts of my story that have come out of 
the sadness in my story, which is how the Lord works, isn't it? Somehow, some way, he's on the move. And um, I think that's how life is, right? The last 15 years of my life are kind of a good picture of what all of our lives are. They're good and they're hard at the very same time. Life is not one note. It's not just good or hard. You know, we want it to be that way. We want the good things to be in one category and the hard things to be in another one. And the thought of those not being mutually exclusive is very foreign to us. We want them to to be like this, like good things are what feels good and when we look good and we have all the goods. And the hard things are like to be overcome as quickly as possible and no one will ever know. And the notion of living in that tension is really the life we are all living if we're honest with each other. And side note, it's the life of Jesus, <laughs> the suffering Savior was living that life. And yet we really reject that life. And it's a tragedy. I long to embrace the good, hard life that God has called me to. I, um, I love this notion of Isaiah 45.3. You may know this beautiful passage where the Lord says, I will give you hidden treasure in the darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am God the God of Israel, the God who summons you by name. And I love this idea that if we are called into the deep, deep darkness of our story, which we all are at some point in our stories, called into terrible suffering and darkness, honestly. But if we have to go there, why don't we get out the treasure? Why don't we learn the right lessons? Why don't we grab hold of that stuff and let it inform the way we live every day for the rest of our entire lives? Why don't we cherish the treasure hidden in the secret places? It's just so clear to me, of course we should do that. We might as well do that. If we're going into the darkness anyway, well, you know what? I'm going to learn something and let my character be different, my walk with Jesus be different. Let it change me. And I, I pray that is what I'm letting happen through my story, and I pray that is what you could have happen in your story. I, um, I have a few thoughts for you guys. I think roughly, largely, you guys are, what, like 18 to 30-ish in there, young adults. I, yeah? Yeah. So I have a lot to say to you guys because I was newly 26 when I had this stroke. So I was in your demographic. And that period of time between 18, 25, 26, when your brain's finally finished fully forming on up to 30, is this critical window when you are moving from childhood to adulthood and really deciding, who am I going to be? What is my adult life going to look like? It's a very important and very precious time and a very difficult time. So with, the, with that in mind, I have just a few thoughts to humbly present to you. These are things I wish I would have fully internalized before I had a stroke. I've had to learn them somewhat the hard way, but I pray you won't. I pray this can be a moment of equipping for your journey, for what's ahead, that you walk 
with tremendous confidence of these realities. So very briefly for time's sake, the first one is this. You have much greater capacity to do harder things than you think. It's wild. You have much greater capacity. I don't know if you've heard that much. I'm afraid your counterparts in the States have not heard that enough, that they can do really hard things because of Jesus and the story with them. It's wild. You guys, we actually have capacity to endure things that are really awful. You may have heard the beautiful truth of 2 Peter 1.3, that his divine power has given us everything that we need. Everything. Every single thing. You may know the beautiful truth of Philippians 4.19, that he will supply all, everyone, all of your needs. You may know the beautiful truth of 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he in me than he who is in the world. Guys, it's all here. We have tremendous capacity because we can't handle it. We can't. You know, everybody says God won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. But guess what? He handles it for you. In your weakness, his strength comes out. In our tremendous lack, he's enough. He shows up and handles everything in our stories that needs handling. He's got it. So we can do hard things. We are not oh so fragile and easily triggered. And I say that with tenderness. I know there's legitimate pain and suffering and triggering. But listen, you are not fragile. Mm -mm. Because of Jesus, when you know Jesus and he is in your story, you have capacity to endure very hard things. My husband and I are desperately trying to instill in both of our little boys that God made you to do the hard thing in the good story that he's writing in your life. We say that over and over and over again. God made you to do the hard thing in the good story that he's writing in your life. And I pray that sinks in. I needed to hear that when I was eight years old like crazy, that God made me for this. And I believe it is true for every one of us in this room. Point number two, guess what? You can dream new dreams. Mic drop, who said that? Uh, the word of God. You can pivot. You can become emotionally agile and go a different direction. You do not need to be wedded to the dream from when you were six years old. You have the ability throughout the course of your life to do this, to be agile. Emotional agility is something I've had to tremendously cultivate for my story. Is I thought my life was going to look like this, and it looked like this. And instead of absolutely flipping out and hating this, I am embracing this and saying, you know what? It's different than I thought. 
for sure. But you know what's true? So much of life is about our expectations, isn't it? What we need to do is expect more of God and less of this world. And instead, we do the opposite, don't we? We expect more of this world and less of God, isn't it? When the reality is, this is it. And if we live here, we're not crushed. We, we may be perplexed, but we are never crushed. That's the beautiful truth of 2 Corinthians 4. I love the thought that uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 11, and it goes into 12, where, where Paul writes that when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. That's painful, honestly. There is a beautiful innocence to being a child. In a way, who doesn't want to be seven years old and the biggest agenda on my day is a tea party? You know, who wouldn't love to be a kid forever? But there is nothing sadder than an adult who does not become an adult but stays a child. There's nothing worse. You know, they say really, really old people, an 88-year-old woman, will want the dreams to come true from when she was eight years old. And there's nothing more sad. Instead of recognizing, some people spend their whole lives wanting it to be like they thought it was going to be when they were eight. And what a tragic way to spend your life. Because don't we as Christ followers trust enough that the story God is writing through our life is the best story? So, like, I'm not going to worry about the dreams from when I was eight because this right here, right now, is the best version of the tea party. You know what I mean? Like, this is enough. I have enough trust in who God is that he is bigger than this momentary stuff that seems super confusing. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Somehow, this path is straight. It feels crazy not straight, but it is because I am acknowledging him and trusting that the Lord's story for my life is the very best story there is. Point number three, and I love this point. This is my favorite. Hey, I'm going to stand up to really remember this one. Guys, you, oh, my mic's falling off. Hold on. I'm just going to hold it. Guys, you get to decide. How you, no, I'm not. This is cool. Oh, one more time. I'm just making memories for you. Oh, here I go. Here we are. I'm glad this moment happened. You're not going to forget this. Guys, guys, you get to decide how you feel about your story. You. Nobody else gets to decide how you feel about it. Everybody will try. Everyone in the world is trying to tell you how to feel, but they can't tell you. 
Guess who gets to decide how I feel about this story, about my life, about this chair, about my journey? Guess who gets to decide how I feel? Only me. Nobody else. No parent, no sibling, no spouse, nobody. I get that right. That is my prerogative on earth. I get to decide how I feel about the story that God is writing. And guess what? I feel great about it. It's almost embarrassing to say. I felt a lot of shame, like, I'm supposed to, like, hate this story, but, like, persevere through it. I'm supposed to white-knuckle it because it's so horrible that, like, God's on the move. But instead, I'm like, I love this story. Like, wow, what a cool life. I get to live. I love my kids. I love my husband. I love my story. And I get to choose that. No one else does that. No one else gets to tell me, you know, control of anything in this life is a total illusion. We don't have control. We don't have control of what happens to us. But guess what? We have complete control over how we think about it, how we respond to it, how we feel about it. That is all entirely within our control. Isn't that nuts? It is so important that you wake up to that. What if you just decided, I love my story. I trust Jesus enough, and I believe that God is writing a good story, and so I'm loving it. What would happen? I think we would live in a very different world as Christians. If we really said, you know what? This was definitely not the plan A for my life, but this is wonderful. Because this is what God has called me to. This is my assignment while I am on my very short stint on earth. God has given this to me, and I will steward it well. Like, what if we lived that way? I think it would change so many things, so much of the angst we feel about how, how horrible our lives are. You know? Like, nope, not horrible. And that is not lip service. Like, I really do love this. And I think that has everything to do with me making the decision to love it. You know, you get that. You get to do that. You get to decide. You know, my husband and I founded this camp called Hope Hills Camp for families where someone is disabled in the family unit. So it might be the child, it might be the parent, but someone is disabled. And the entire family comes to camp totally for free um, for this week-long just vacation-like experience. It's glorious. You all should come volunteer um, or send us a bunch of money because we fundraise all year long to make this free for all our campers. And it's just golden. And the final night of our camp, we have what we call Luke 14 Banquet, where we invite all of our campers and all of the volunteers and everybody to come into this beautiful dining hall and have this meal. And after this glorious meal, we have a dance party. And I don't know if you've ever lived, if you haven't been to a party with a bunch of people with disabilities dancing. It is glorious. I think we have pictures here. Um, 
I can't look too much at these pictures because they just make me cry. Because do they look like sadness and suffering and pain to you? Nope. nope. That's right. Nope. They don't. They don't look like um, they may not live to see their next summer camp. They don't look like um, they're hating their life and their story, do they? Look at Katie. Katie's in the wheelchair right there. And, um, and you may have noticed that spicy blonde to her left. That's me. <laughs> and um, we are living in wheelchair freedom. We are rejoicing. It doesn't look like sadness and suffering. No, it looks like this is the good life. This is a really, really good life. It's, um, it's really powerful to show you those images because I've attended many funerals in the past seven years of campers who have passed. And I've had hours of counseling on the phone, parents who've lost children from various disabilities and just hard, sad suffering. It's been, it's been very tough. Very tough. And I don't remotely have the answers. I never do. I never say like, well, this is God's whatever crazy mean sentiments people tell you. Like this is God needed another angel or something. Like I believe God's plan is perfect, but let's not explode painful sentiments on people in terrible pain. And anyway, it is um, beautiful to watch a dance party of people who are waking up to all of these things that somehow they never wanted their lives to look like they do, but they can dream new dreams. They have stunning capacity to endure because Jesus endured for them, and they look to him as the guide. They consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we ourselves will never grow weary or lose heart, as it says in Hebrews 12.3. This population of people coming to our camp has deeply informed how I understand what it means to really live and what it means to live walking or rolling with Jesus through our stories and changed how I understand what it means to truly persevere. Because I think to truly persevere doesn't mean to white-knuckle it. Do you use that expression here in Canada? I think you probably do. You know what I mean? Like, hold on tight, grasp at it, and do it for Jesus and make it hurt. No, it's this. It's release. True perseverance is saying, I've got open hands. Lord, I am trusting that you are going to fill them. I release the dreams, but I know that I have capacity. So, Lord, give it to me. I'm here. I do not know what the future holds. But the truth is, none of us do. None of us know a thing about what's going to happen in our stories. We don't. We have no idea. But I'm going to live pivoting. I'm going to live with emotional agility. I'm going to live knowing that somehow, someway, all things are ultimately working for the good of those who love him. That's Romans 8, 28. Thank you.